0: Good morning to you all this morning. morning. Oh, a few of you said good morning, that's good. Why do we pastors always do that? We all do it. And some of you respond and some of you don't. Why? Oh, anyway, I read a study on it once, and there's a reason behind it, but I don't remember, so we'll just go on. I I don't have the global leadership shirt that everybody else has on. I told this first service, and my daughter came out to me and said, Dad, you might want to scale that back a bit. It was way too much information, so I will scale it back. But Wes handed me the shirt. I held it up to me, and it was like a belly shirt, like where you show your midsection. And all I could think of was sumo wrestlers. And I thought, I don't think the church wants to see a sumo wrestler this morning. So uh, I handed the shirt back and said, Wes, I'm sorry, it doesn't work out. And uh, he said, oh, that's too bad. And he went to his office and tried to find another shirt. Didn't work, so I got my regular shirt on. You're welcome. You won't have to watch my belly. So I could have put a mouth on it and some eyes or something anyway. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word today, we've had a pile of commercials about being volunteers in our church. We have, honestly, God, we have so many opportunities coming up. Uh, I know that our, at our day camp, 50% of the 300 kids don't go to churches. Of the 5,000 that showed up for our show and shine, uh, well over probably 4,000 don't go to any church. Uh, what opportunities, God, for our Global Leadership Summit, we had so many that don't go to church, that were intrigued by church. And God, we have opportunities, but we need volunteers. And so as we go through your word today, my prayer is it will strike a chord in our hearts, not guilt, but conviction that leads to righteousness, not to death and sorrow, not to overworking. And so God, would you come today by the power of your Holy Spirit and speak to us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. I wanted to, and I, I never ever do this. You need to know. That. I think you know that. My daughter Shaylin, who was leading worship this morning, uh, I was sitting in the front pew, and I believe God wanted me to share this with you. Uh, she uh, started back volunteering leading worship when her baby was six months old. Her baby's not even a year old yet. And so, if you're sitting there going, "Oh man," but I'm at this stage of life or that stage of life, or I need to be free, uh, look at my daughter. I mean, again, I'm not trying to guilt you. I mean, my daughter, Shaylen, she loves Jesus so much. She's in prayer. She's hearing his voice. And she just wanted to serve. And this is something, it's, it's once a month commitment. She doesn't have to do too much. She finds it tough. She's got to be here early. She's got to bring her baby with her. Sometimes I'm on the front dancing with the baby, trying to keep the baby from crying. But I just wanted to say, and, and here goes into my sermon. Right at the Garden of Eden, what really was the sort of underlying issue of why they wanted to eat from the tree they weren't supposed to? What was the underlying? You go, well, sin. Yeah, that's it. But the underlying issue is it's all about me. God's keeping something back. God's not letting me have something It's all about me. When you begin to see the gospel unfold in the New Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as Jesus begins to talk about serving. As we see Jesus die on a cross, a death he didn't deserve, rising again on the third day, we have victory over selfishness, friends. When you begin to read some of the uh, small little gospels like the book of Philippians or Galatians, you begin to see unfold this kind of attitude of consider others more important than yourself. After the Second World War, there was a jump in church attendance. A lot of people have speculated that, but I'll say it straight up. Evil was face-to-face with the world. Evil was face to face, and yet the crazy stuff that the German government at that time was pushing forth, it feels a little familiar now. And we need to stand up and be counted. You may be like me and reading the news, and just last night I thought I'd grab a few headlines. Slave Lake watches weather. Inquiry finds race-based genocide. Virginia beach shooting victims. Netflix says they will team up with ACLU in fight against Georgia abortion law. Climate change plays major role in wildfires, but Alberta's premier says it's complex. I could go on with more headlines, but you get the picture. In fact, as I was reading over the message last night, I thought a lot of you are going to be agreeing with me that truth is kind of a a commodity now, and it's more opinion going about. And as I sat there, God pointed out to me, you know, both camps, whether you believe the world's coming to an end because of climate or whether you believe it's all a hoax, you're both going, yeah, where's truth today? Where is truth? Where is truth? It feels like truth is losing and opinion is winning. And we've been in the book of Acts. And I believe the book of Acts is a good perspective book. We've been through seven chapters now. And in seven chapters, we have seen all sorts of things happen from incredible uh, prison cell doors coming open, chains falling off. Stephen, last Sunday, stoned, killed. And that didn't slow down the church. And we're going to see in chapter 8 where the church is scattered. That doesn't slow down God's message. You see, because people's hearts were changed and their lives made a difference. One of the insidious things I believe that's crept into the church today is it's all about me. Now, I want to give a little caveat. About 10% of you are going, yeah, I hear you, Pastor. I'm going to do more. And then I see you burn out and wreck out. But statistics show me that 80% of us in the pew need a fire lit under us. And I'll say that's a fire of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us in a new and a fresh way. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and consider others more important than ourselves. We need to have the humility of Jesus at the cross, who being in the very nature of God, but he didn't consider that. But instead he humbled himself and he put us first. So Acts chapter 8. I want to kind of go through this text fairly fast with just little bits of comments. But there's kind of five points in the text that I've pulled out. And each of the points I think answers an important question. The question is this. What can stop God from advancing the truth of Jesus? What can stop God from advancing the truth of Jesus? What can stop God from advancing the truth of Jesus? Can Stephen's death? Can people being put in prison, can religious leaders telling the disciples to keep their mouths shut? Number one reason Acts chapter 8 verse 1, persecution won't stop, the church listened, and Saul approved of their killing him, of killing Stephen. This is Saul who, if you were one of those ones that were having family members killed because of Saul, I can't imagine how your heart would have needed a lot of forgiveness when he had that Damascus Road experience, when he became a leader in the church, And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And as we unpack the book of Acts, we understand that that was God's plan. But I'm sure as you were vacating your home quickly because a fire's come or whatever it might be, you would never have thought this is God's plan. I want you to look at the book of Acts with a new perspective of your life. I want you to understand there's nothing that you go through is wasted, nothing that you experience that is lost. Everything has meaning and purpose, and all things work together for good. As Pastor Caleb said at the end of his message last Sunday, all things work together for good. Verse 2, Godly man buried Stephen... And mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. And listen to this. And this is is a a reputation the church had for its first 300 years. And then we kind of lost it. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So let me ask the question again. What can stop God from advancing the truth of Jesus? Point number two, sorcery won't stop. Miraculous weird things won't stop the gospel. Verse 9, now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. And let me tell you, as I just was reading about this, Doug Balzer shared at Soul Care that the North American society has kind of had an awakening with the supernatural, spiritual stuff going on. And he challenged us as a church and he said, the church needs to catch up. Rod said it, I've been to Guinea. It's like you can literally see the supernatural and spiritual happening. We need to wake up church. So here's this guy named Simon. And he practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Now, there's a heart issue going on there. And that soul wound that caused that heart issue, it surfaces in a few sentences later. He boasted that he was somebody great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, the gospel goes forth, friends. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were all baptized, both men and women. Simon himself, this sorcerer, this one that had that kind of crooked heart, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles. So let me ask the question again What can stop God from advancing the truth of Jesus? Point number three different cultures won't stop the gospel. 14 verse, verse 14 says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. This persecution, the gospel spreading, even bad things, God's doing his work. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now listen to the explanation. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you know how important, when we look at John 14, Jesus' teaching, John 15, 14, where he talks about the Holy Spirit, John 15, where he talks about the vine and the branches, do you know how important it is that you're led and filled by the Holy Spirit? Religion or Christianity isn't about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship. It's about hearing the voice of God. And I will say, God primarily speaks through his word. But I think in our culture, our science-obsessed culture, even in the church in North America, we're about doctrine and Bible knowledge and theology. Yes, that's important. But we've lost this wonder, this sense, that God still speaks, God still leads. And we're going to see it unfold in the text here. When they arrived, verse 15, they prayed for the new believers there that they would, might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not come on them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Not a big explanation, not a big fanfare. This is just regular stuff of the early church. But let me ask the question again. What can stop God from advancing the truth of Jesus? Can death, Stephen's death, can persecution, people being spread about, Being told not to share the gospel, can it stop the gospel? No, it can't because hearts and lives were changed because people understood what we're about to partake in, the communion, that Jesus Christ gave up his life, died on a cross, and on the third day rose again. He died taking our sins, and on the third day rose again, proving he came to do what he did. Are you willing to live for that? Has selfishness crept into your life? Are you really upset with the stuff you're going through? Are you sitting there going, oh my goodness, I can't believe this has happened to me. I can't believe I got laid off. I can't believe I went bankrupt. I can't believe. Do you understand the presence and the purpose of God? Nothing is wasted you're going through. Nothing your experience has lost. Absolutely nothing. All things will work together for good. Just read your Bible. So what can stop God from advancing the truth of Jesus? Point number four, power and manipulation won't stop. Power and manipulation, even in the church, sometimes you see things go on and you go, oh my goodness, how has the church survived for 2,000? That's me. How has the church survived for 2,000 years? I get it. It's because God is behind it. God is working and he deals with it. So verse 18, when Simon, remember the guy with the heart? saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands, he offered them money. He was such a brand new Christian. And the old ways were hard to go away, and the soul wounds that drove him back then were still driving him. And he needed more deliverance and more healing and more teaching. Verse 19, And he said to them, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So much of what goes on in the church, even, you know, I speak in tongues. I'm just so much better than everybody else. That's the wrong heart. That's the wrong heart. Verse 20, Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. But I just had a baby. I, I can't volunteer this summer or I, I'm so busy at work or I, I just, I'm not feeling up to, I just need some rest. It feels like I'm guilting you, doesn't it? Is it working? No. <laughs> Verse 22, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of, listen to this, bitterness and captive to sin. Has that ever happened to you? When you read the Scriptures talking about putting off the old and putting on the new, or, or Paul talking about the old man or the old nature, and we have a new nature in us, and, and the two are battling within us. So, friends, this side of heaven, we will have this battle. We will have to have iron sharpening iron. We need to be in community because we've been hurt in community, and we will find healing in community. Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, they just don't stop. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is Peter, remember a couple of weeks ago, people would wait for his shadow to fall on them so they would be healed. This guy had a reputation this is the guy, history tells us, that was hung upside down on a cross and crucified at the end of his life. But did that stop the gospel? No, it didn't. So what can stop the God from advancing the truth of Jesus? Point number five, religion won't stop the gospel. Or people just seeking out religion won't stop the gospel. In fact, if they're truly seeking, they will find. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, why have we stopped believing that God can speak to us in all sorts of means and ways? I told you about my plane crash. Whether it was an angel or Jesus, I don't know, but I had somebody come and talk to me. Told me I'd be okay. That didn't mean I was going to live, by the way. Just meant I was going to be okay. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down to, from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. I'm not going to go into deep explanation about what a eunuch is. Let me just say that something of him was no longer. And it made him really serve, as we're going to find out, the queen of the Ethiopians. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. An important official in charge of the all the treasure of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he wasn't Jewish. At least the text doesn't seem to indicate that. But he's heading off to Jerusalem to worship because he probably thought, you know, maybe they've got something there. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And here it comes again, guys. Do you think God speaks today? Do you think God reveals today? And again, primarily he does it in his word. So hopefully you're reading the Bible often. But the spirit spoke to Philip. I mean, Jesus said, don't go anywhere, disciples, until my Holy Spirit comes on you. And he's going to be your counselor. And how does that work? And he's going to teach you. How does that work? Because God still speaks today. God still leads today. Each and every moment of each and every day. And nothing you go through is wasted. If you're having a tough experience or you're upset or, or, dis, or confused about something, ask God. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. Oh, I love this coincidence. I think not. Have you read Isaiah 53 lately? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Legitimate question. Legitimate question. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. Now, the text doesn't go into detail what he said, but we know from what follows, the eunuch obviously prayed to receive Christ. He understood that he needed a Savior. He needed his sins forgiven. He needed a new heart. He needed the heart of stone and selfishness removed and replaced with the heart of giving and caring As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Now you're going, Wow, he went from A to Z really quick. I don't know why he knew about baptism, but he somehow did. It was a practice amongst the Jews. They would get baptized. Other religions practiced it. It was a kind of a public proclamation, or or it was an outward symbolic ceremony of what had just happened. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Uh, Friends, this is full immersion, if you didn't know. Good argument for it. The Spirit of the Lord sorry, when they came up out of the water, so Philip baptizes in verse 38, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Now, some of us call this, if you're into Star Trek, teleportation. I, I read up in a bunch of commentaries and I, I was a little bit surprised. All the commentaries tried to explain away that no, no, Peter didn't like suddenly go from one place to another. He was just so caught up in the spirit and whether his donkey or he walked and then all of a sudden he noticed where he was and I thought, why do we do that? In our society, we are so full of uh, science, facts, facts, And I like science, in fact, I love all that kind of stuff, but friends, we have some catching up to do with the world in our society right now. Just flip on the TV. In fact, I saw some previews to some upcoming shows, I'm going, oh my goodness, that looks really scary and gross. There's a new movie coming out, and Satan's coming alive, and I just sit there, well, he's actually already alive, we don't need to think he's coming alive. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, and he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, and here he goes again, preaching the gospel in all the towns till he came, till he reached Caesarea. So what's going to stop the gospel? Deaths, layoffs, bankruptcies, not at all. And why are we so upset and hurt when things don't go our way, when, when our stuff gets eaten by moth and rust? As some of you guys know, I traded in my motorbike for a different summer transportation, a little wee convertible car, a cheap one, an old one. And I was driving the other day, and I got a really good deal on these sunglasses. And here I am, 58 years old, driving with my top down and these sunglasses on. And I just, I kind of just went, Yeah, yeah. You know, I was enjoying it, don't get me wrong, but I was going, man, heaven's gonna be a good place. This is like, this thing's already, I, I got check engine light on in the car, and, and there, it tells me the brake pads need replaced, and, and the airbag lights on, and, and I'm going, oh, moth and rust, moth and rust. Heaven's gonna be so beautiful. Has anybody heard of Corey Tanboon? Gonna finish with this illustration. Nobody's, Second World War. When evil really was out there, some of you have heard of her. Well, Corey Tenboon was a Christian in a in the Second World War in Holland in the Netherlands, and Corey was the first registered female watchmaker in the Netherlands. That's pretty cool. Her dad was a watchmaker. She became a registered watchmaker. She also, when she was like literally 18 years old, ran a church youth group or youth club, and it was some of it was to uh, help some of the ladies learn some basic skills. Like sewing, watchmaking, and different things. The Tenboons, her family, began The Hiding Place during the Second World War, and that was the title of one of Corey's famous books. And there's even been a movie called The Hiding Place. Corey Tenboon and her sister Betsy opened their home, their house, to refugees, both Jews and others who were members of the resistance movement being sought by the Gestapo and its Dutch counterpart. They had plenty of room, although wartime shortages meant that food was scarce. Every non-Jewish Dutch person had received a ration card, the requirement for obtaining weekly food coupons. Through her charitable work, Ten Boone knew many people in Harlem and remembered a couple who had a disabled daughter. The father was a civil servant. Now, if you'd read earlier in this article, it would have told you that she actually did a ministry to disabled, mentally disabled people. The father was a civil servant who by then was in charge of the local ration card office. Remember, God's not wasting anything. She went to his house one evening and when he asked how many ration cards she needed, she says, I opened my mouth to say five. She didn't have a lot of faith. Ten Boone wrote in the book, The Hiding Place, but the number that unexpectedly and astonishingly came out was instead 100 ration cards. He gave them to her, and she provided cards to every Jew she met. The refugee work done by Ten Boone and her sister became known by the Dutch resistance, and the resistance sent an architect to Ten Boone's house to build a secret room adjacent to the Ten Boone's room for the Jews in hiding, as well as an alert buzzer to warn the refugees to get into the room as quickly as possible. On February 28, 1944, so just a year and a bit before the war ended, a Dutch informant named Jan Vogel told the Nazis about the Ten Boons work. At around 12.30 p.m., the Nazis arrested the entire Ten Boon family. They were sent to some Prison starting with the letter S, and I'm not going to say that German word. And when the resistant materials and extra ration cards were found at the home. The six people hidden by the Tanboons, the two sisters, among them, both Jews and resistant workers, remain undiscovered in the secret room. Cory Tanboon received a letter one day in prison reading: All the watches in your cabinet are safe. Meaning the refugees had managed to escape and were safe. Four days after the raid, resistant workers transferred them to other locations. Altogether, the Gestapo arrested some 30 people in the Ten Boone family home that day. Cory Ten Boone was initially held in solitary confinement. After three months... Have you ever been in solitary confinement? I have a bit of claustrophobia. I can't even imagine. She, after three months, she was taken to her first hearing. On trial, Corey spoke about her work with the mentally disabled. The Nazi lieutenant scoffed as the Nazis had been killing mentally disabled individuals for years based on their eugenic ideologies. Have you watched the news lately? is there some really weird ideologies coming out? Ten Boone defended her work, saying that in the eyes of God, a mentally disabled person might be more valuable than a watchmaker herself or a lieutenant. Talk about gutsy girl. Corey and her sister Betsy were sent from that prison starting with the letter S to another one starting with the letter H, a political concentration camp, also known as Camp Vaught, and finally to Ravensbrook. Concentration camp, a women's labor camp in Germany. There they held worship services. Corey, as you're going to read in a few moments, as I'm going to show you some quotes, she had this understanding that God wastes nothing. There they held worship services after the hard days at work using a Bible that they had managed to sneak in. While at Ravensbrook, Betsy Tenboon began to discuss plans with her sister after the war for a place of healing. Betsy's health continued to deteriorate, and she died on December 16, 1944, at the age of 59. Before she died, she told Corey, listen to this, there is no pit so deep that he, God, is not Deeper still. Fifteen days later, Corey was released. Afterwards, she was told that her release was due to a clerical error and that a week later, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. Is anything going to stop God's message going forth? Corey returned home in the midst of the hunger winter and she could have said, Oh, I've had it so rough. I need a little rest. But she opened her doors to the mentally disabled who were in hiding for fear of execution. After the war, Corrie returned to the Netherlands to set up a rehabilitation center in bloomendal The refugee housed concentration camp survivors and sheltered the jobless Dutch who previously had collaborated with the Germans. Wow. Consider others more important than yourself. She got it. They collaborated with the Germans during the occupation exclusively until 1950, when it accepted anyone in need of care. She returned to Germany in 1946 and met with and forgave two Germans who had been employed at Ravensbrück, one of whom was particularly cruel to Betsy, her sister. Corey went on to travel the world as a public speaker, appearing in more than 60 countries. She wrote many books during this time. Now let me read you three quotes from Corey. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Quote number two, every experience God gives us, every person he puts in our lives is the perfect preparation for the future that only he can see Quote number three, worry does not empty tomorrow of its troubles, it empties today of its strengths. Now this morning, your world may seem out of control. Truth is an illusion to you. Please know God is still in control. Reading in Acts, you will see suffering, murder by stowing, miraculous deliverance from prison, eyesight problems, lame walking, lame being healed. Nothing, friends, is wasted. Not one death, one meeting, one miracle, or one conversion. And from our perspective, from that old sin nature that haunts us, maybe this morning you're feeling like all is lost, but let me assure you, God is in control. God is in control. I find it really ironic that The scriptures tell us that when we meet, we should have communion. That we should have a piece of bread to remember that Passover meal, as Jesus said, this is my body. Eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, which in the Passover meal was something completely different. And he said, this is my blood, which is a new covenant for you. And do this and remember. And it's interesting that in the book of Revelation, one of the churches... One of the churches said they had forgotten about their first love. You know what I think happens so easily is the old nature, the old man, the old ways, the old selfishness. It creeps into the church. It creeps into our lives. And we have to be reminded, at least in this church, once a month we do it, where we have to be reminded that the cross is real and Jesus died giving up everything for us and rising again on the third day. This is what we're about. And what will hold back God redeeming and saving the world. Right now, his wrath is being held back so that every tribe and nation can hear. And you know the only thing that's stopping every tribe and nation to hear? Look in the mirror. Oh, but I'm so busy building my empire, my kingdom. Oh, you started out building for the Lord, I understand. Let me just encourage you. This week, spend time listening to God. Let him speak to you. He still talks. Angels still visit. The Holy Spirit still whispers, go over and buy that guy lunch or or give that guy $20, help that lady across the street or whatever it might be or, or go take this book to that person. The Holy Spirit still speaks. God still challenges. So maybe you're here and you're fearing the future when you see all the opposition to truth. And maybe you've become convinced the church is finished. But I'm challenging you to understand that God's in control and listen. Hear his voice. He's got some orders for you. And they're good things. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this communion table, as the elders come down, and as, as we take the bread first, and the cup second, and as we hold them in our hands, Lord, we want to look at the bread, and we want to say, yes, it's about you, Jesus. You you showed us that uh, even though you were in very nature, God, you didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you humbled yourself even to death on a cross. You put us first. And when we pray to receive Jesus, when we ask for the forgiveness of our sins, you put new DNA in us. And that's a DNA of generosity, of self-sacrifice, of others. And God, we have struggled so much with the old man and old nature. And we haven't put off those things that just eat up all our time. And we haven't put on And heard your spirit speak to us like we should. So as we come to this communion table, as we have that bread, we remember that Jesus sacrificed his body at the prime of life, 33 years of age. And as we take the cup and and we look inside, we see, yeah, a poor reflection of our own face. But one day we shall see him face to face. And as his blood poured out, and and as that blood hit the ground, it it began a movement in this earth. And, And honestly, God, this has got to get into our heads and I need to get it into my head, Holy Spirit, would you help me, that there is a battle for evil in this world between good and evil, and you, God, are reclaiming and retaking that which happened right at the Garden of Eden where Satan got the upper hand. And at the cross, Jesus, you now have the upper hand Help us to understand this, this incredible battle that goes on. And, and God, the millennials of today, they excite me so much because they love to take up causes. And when they get a hold of this gospel message, I have seen millennials and, and the next generation under, they're willing to do anything and give everything up. They're willing to, be, to starve, to be beaten, to be imprisoned, to be killed. And God, my generation, the baby boomers, we've tried. But we really have had a lot of self-focus, and we forgive. Would you forgive us for that? And as we take this communion table today, may we go back to our first love. And Holy Spirit, you want to speak to us. Uh, Maybe an angel will show up here. I don't know, God. Maybe we'll be teleported. I have no idea. But I do know, God, that you still speak. You spoke to me this morning. You, you, you even told me yesterday to ask my wife a question about something. She had such a good answer that helped in my sermon. And God, thank you that you still speak. And May we be a people who uh, take a moment of silence just to hear your voice, uh, to, to read your word to get excited about where you're taking us, to not be discouraged by the the turmoil and the hardship and the difficulties that go around us and those that come against us and and the market that goes up and down. God, we want to be focused on you. We want the world to dim. We want to see your face. So as we take these communion elements, God, would would you just help us to focus correctly? Would you help us to re kind of gather ourselves up into where you've called us to be. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.